about living in the light, and if we're going to live in the light, part of that is being honest. Um, there's an Afghan woman that was interviewed uh, by a Chicago Tribune correspondent, and um, you know, asked about the reason why some Afghan women continue to wear the burqas, even though they're no longer forced to wear them, and you know, that's the full body covering. And she said something I think is very profound and uh, applies maybe to a lot of us. She said, we've lived in darkness for so long that now we're afraid of the light. And I think we can be that way. Uh, I think a lot of times that we're afraid to change because we may know things are messed up, but we're more comfortable in the pain of the messed up now than we're willing to step into the uncomfortable of possibly a better future if we actually change. But Jesus wants to take us from the darkness to the light. In who we are, he wants to move us from the darkness to the light. In how we live, he wants to move us from the darkness to the light. And that's what we're going to see in this scripture passage over the next couple of weeks. Uh, we're going to kind of focus on a part of it this week, a part of it next week. But before we get into that, I want to give you a little background. Because I think it's important that we understand this metaphor of light and darkness in the scripture. It's really common. And so just a kind of quick background. What I hope this will help is as you're reading the Bible on your own, which I hope you're doing on a regular basis, if you want to go spiritually, that's got to happen, is as you read about light or darkness, you read about this metaphor. Hopefully this will help you to understand better what Scripture's actually saying about it. So one, you know, the Bible tells us that Jesus is the light of the world. Scripture says this multiple times. John 8, 12 is one example of that, uh, you know, where Jesus claimed to be that. It's a pretty astounding claim that if the world is going to have light in it, it has to come through Jesus Christ. But that, that's what he's claiming. Uh, you know, in, in John 1, what Missy read, it says, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And you understand, if someone says, there's life in me and only me, that they're basically claiming to be God. And so Jesus is saying, if you want to have light, it comes through me. Second, light is a picture of salvation, while darkness is a picture of spiritual blindness. Light's a picture of salvation, while darkness is a picture of spiritual blindness. You see this in 2 Corinthians 4, uh, 1 through 6, which I encourage you to read. We're not, I'm not going to read it this service because I went too long last service, and uh, so I think this is a place I can cut a little bit. Three, light is a picture of holiness, while darkness is a picture of sin. 1 John 1, 5, we'll read this verse. This is the message which we've heard from him declare to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. So the essential nature of God is holiness and purity and, and, and perfection. He's completely light, the glory of God emanating from him. And so the Bible, when the Bible is talking about light, you know, one of the things that it's saying is it's light pictures holiness, purity, darkness pictures uh, sin, evil, those kind of things. Four, light is a picture of truth and revelation, while darkness is a picture of lies, of, of hiding, 
uh, of secrets, uh, those kind of things. You see this in John 3, 20, 21. You see this in many places in Scripture. You know, the Bible teaches us that Satan's a liar and he, he's a deceiver. And, you know, that's how he tries to lead us astray. And, and darkness pictures that. But then the light pictures truth and revelation and, and, and knowing, you know, what's actually real, knowing what God wants us to do. And then number five, the Bible talks about, and this is really just an ongoing theme through the pages of Scripture. It'll be next year before we get to it, but when we get into Ephesians chapter 6, we'll conclude the book with a series on spiritual warfare and this battle of light and darkness, this battle, the spiritual battle that's going on in the unseen realms, going on behind the scenes between Satan and his forces and the Lord is pictured in light and darkness, and it's one of just the, the, the big themes of Scripture, and it's one of the things that we need to understand if um, we really are going to understand the world that we're in. There's light, there's darkness, there's spiritual forces behind that light and darkness, and, and there's a battle that's going on in between them. I think we know this innately, and, and, and we're kind of looking for this and, and looking for the truth in this matter. I mean, how many books, how many movies, this is really the theme uh, behind it. Um, I mean, you know, Marvel movies, DC, those kind of, there's this battle, light and, and, and darkness, but it's not a comic book thing, it's a reality, and it explains much of what's going on in the world. John 1 5, she read this before, light shines in the darkness, the darkness did not comprehend it, is what it says in the New King James Version, but probably a better translation is the darkness did not overcome it. It looks like it sometimes, but the darkness is never actually going to overcome the light because Jesus, the light of the world, defeated Satan and death, hell and the grave on the cross. And someday he's coming back to consummate that victory and establish his kingdom and bring everything into the light at that point. So, when the Bible talks about this, it's talking about this battle. It's talking about Jesus being the light of the world. Light, like I said, represents holiness and salvation and truth and, and, and revelation. So with that in mind, let's, let's read our text as we're working through the book of Ephesians, uh, Ephesians 5.1. And, 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 re and remember that our big idea for the second half of the book, which is the application part of the book, that we've come back to time and time again, that we'll see in, in this text this morning, is uh, we can live out what Jesus expects of us by living out of what Jesus has done for us. Okay, so keep that in mind. You'll see that very clearly expressed in, in, in verse 8 in this text. So Paul writes here, Therefore, be in, imitators of God. Mimic uh, God a, a, as dear children. Uh, verse 2, walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. Uh, he says, but fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not even be named among you as is fitting for saints. So part of walking in love is actually living in, in sexual purity. And really what we're going to focus on next week is this part of the passage and talk about what it means to walk in the light when it comes to our sex lives. Um, he says in verse 4, neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. 
For you know this, that no fornicator, unclean person, or covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. So this is kind of the darkness side. But here he moves into the light side of things. He says, for you were, a very important word, once darkness, but now you are, another very important word, light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. In other words, who you used to be, your position, your identity was darkness. And notice what he says, you once were darkness. I guess in my mind, somehow, for a long time, I used to kind of read this for you once were in the darkness, which is true, but that's not what he says. It's even stronger than that. He says, for you once were darkness, but the contrast, now you are light in the Lord. So he says, walk, in other words, live as children of light. If Jesus has moved you, translated you from the, light, or from the darkness to the light, live like you're in the light. Live like children of light. He says, for the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. In other words, and this fits with the verses we read before, that uh, if we're walking in the light, the fruit of the Spirit's going to come out of us, and the fruit of the Spirit is goodness, righteousness, and truth, as opposed uh, you know, to evil and blindness, because righteousness, you know, we're given the righteousness of Christ when we're saved. And, and, and truth, you know, the opposite of that, obviously, would be lies and deception. Then he tells us in verse 10, he says, finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. Then he says in verse 12, For it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. But all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light, for whatever makes manifest is light. Therefore, he says, Awake, you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. So here's the big idea, I think. Jesus transforms us from darkness to light. Remember, we can live this out because of what he has already done in us and for us. Jesus transforms us from darkness to light, so we're to now live as children of light. Now, let's be honest, though. It's not always easy. Right? I mean, we live in a world that's full of darkness, that's trying to you know, pull us into that. I mean, we still have... Uh, struggles from our past that we're still trying to overcome. So, uh, you know, the big question here is if, if we're saved, if we're in the light, if we're a child of God, how do we actually live like children of light? And I would say to you, if, if you're not a Christian, becoming a Christian or uh, being transferred from darkness to light Biblically, it's a supernatural thing. God has to open your eyes. He has to remove the blinders. But I would just say to you, if the Spirit of God is working in you, and He's removing those blinders, and you're seeing that you're a sinner, and you're seeing 
that Jesus is the only Savior. You're seeing that he's the Son of God who died for your sins and rose from the dead. That means that God is doing a work of grace in your heart. He's opening your eyes, and you need to respond now to Jesus Christ in repentance and faith, surrendering your life to him, and he'll make you spiritually alive. He'll make you a child of God, and he'll move you from darkness to light. So if God is doing that work in your heart, I would invite and encourage you to respond to him today in repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. But if you are a Christian, if you say, hey, I'm in the light, how do we live like it? And it's so important that we live like it for us, for our family, for the people around us. I mean, do we really want to live in darkness? Is that, that really what we want our lives to be like? Do we want to be comfortable in the darkness? Or are we willing to, to change, to do what we need to do, to live differently, to live the life that God really wants us to live? But once again, how do we do that? Well, I, I want to suggest uh, four truths to you, four things that, that we can believe and do from this text that will help us to actually walk in the light, help us to actually live like children of light. So first of all, we can live as children of the light by understanding and living out of our new identity that we have in Christ. We can live as children of the light by understanding and living out of our new identity. Key thought here, verse 8, this is who we were. This is who we are. It speaks of position. It speaks of identity. And listen to me. How we see ourselves is so important to how we live our lives. Right? If, if we don't see ourselves for who we really are, we're self-deceived at that point, and it's going to affect our relationships. It's going to affect every other area of our lives. But even more important than that, if we don't see ourselves for who we are in Christ, we're not going to live up to the privileges that Jesus won for us on the cross in himself. Remember what we talked about? You know, the, the first three chapters of Ephesians are about our position in Christ. Now he's talking about our practice, living that out. And spiritual growth is living to where more and more our practice matches up to our position. So we have to know and see who we are to actually be able to live that out. You know, everything in the second half of Ephesians in some way refers back to the first half of Ephesians. I think this refers back to the first part of Ephesians chapter 2 that we already looked at. But let's just review quickly. Look at what he says. Uh, he says, And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. Among among whom we also all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath just as the others. This is the darkness part of things. He's saying before Christ, we were spiritually dead. We were living according to the desires of our own flesh. We were self-willed. Uh, you know, we're separated from God. Ultimately, whether we realized it or not, we were following Satan. Even if we were a moral person, uh, you know, Satan can use that to entrap people as well. Um, you know, he, he's saying, you know, we're spiritually dead and 
So we were in uh, darkness. That's who we were. But thank God, by his grace, in Christ, we can have a but God moment where everything changes. He says here, but God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ by grace. Are you saved? Raised us up together, made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. This is who you were. You were dead. Now you're alive. You were separated with God. Now you're reconciled to God together with all the saints. You were darkness, but now you're light. Don't live in the were, live in the are. Don't live based on who you used to be. Live based on who Christ has made you to be now. This is your position. This is your identity in Jesus Christ. I mean, maybe maybe a simple way to apply it. You see, because identity, I think, produces action. Here's a simple way to apply it. This is a common conversation I've had with people as a pastor, someone who's struggling with some kind of addiction. And sometimes you'll hear people say, well, I'll always be an alcoholic. And, and so, I, 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 or I am an alcoholic or something like that. And I understand, I mean, I know enough about AA and Celebrate Recovery, those kind of things. I understand that, you know, the idea behind that, not to become overconfident, continue to work your program, uh, you know, be accountable, those kind of things. And so I, I get that and, and encourage that side of it. But if that person is a Christian, particularly a new Christian, I encourage them to, to stop calling themselves an alcoholic and say, I now am a child of God. I'm a saint. I'm a new person. I'm not who I was. I may have a ba- battle that I have to continue uh, to fight, but uh, you know that it, that does not define me anymore. Jesus Christ defines me. I'm defined by His grace. I'm defined by what uh, He has done for me. And the reason that that's so important is uh, we have to, as we live out of that new identity, as we look to Jesus and not ourselves, that's how we actually experience his transforming power. We can live out what Jesus expects of us by living out of what Jesus has done for us. That's how we live the Christian life, and I believe there's freedom in that. Identity produces action. Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. So I want to tell you about a wedding that my family went to one time. And uh, I'm kind of trying to be a little vague on the de- some of the details, but I'll just say it, has, it was not a true life wedding, okay? It has nothing to do with any family at true life at all. It was in another state and just nothing to do with anybody at true life. I mean, we occasionally do go to a wedding that does not involve the Holt or the Baird families. <laughs> <laughs> this happens every once in a while. Uh, it doesn't seem like it to John Baird right now, but it occasionally happens. Uh, it, yeah, it, if you don't know what I'm talking about, they have 13 and 12 kids, many of whom are young adults right now, and, and, the, and the Bairds in particular are marrying them off at a record rate. I mean... <laughs> I mean, they have two more coming next year after having, I mean, I've lost count, but I mean, I'm sort of related to them now. That's, that's all I know. Uh, but anyway, I digress. That's, that's what we're talking. That's what I'm talking about, though. But anyway, so we went to this wedding, and um, 
Uh, well, obviously, uh, I've been to a lot of weddings in my life because, you know, I, I've performed dozens of uh, wedding uh, ceremonies. And, and so uh, I, I guess I know hopefully a little bit about weddings, but, uh, you know, most weddings are, are, are awesome. They're a little scary for pastors. This is kind of a trade secret. Most pastors would rather do a funeral uh, than a wedding because all, all you can do at a wedding is mess it up. I mean, there's no game for you and the potential for it to go really bad for you because it's the bride's day and, you know, you don't want to mess that up. But anyway, um, you know, most weddings, they go great. I've been to a few that uh, I've done, <laughs> a couple that got a little interesting, I guess, in some different ways. But uh, at, at this wedding... Um, Robin and I started talking. I mean, you know, we've been doing this for a long time. You kind of pick up on things. And it's like, there's no way that this guy who's doing a, the wedding is a pastor. That's what we said to each other. It's like, there's, there's no way this guy uh, could be a, a, a pastor. And, and so you say, well, why would we say that? Well, first of all, he looked like he was in middle school. And, uh, I mean, which he wasn't. I mean, I guess, I don't know, he's like probably early 20s. I mean, he's like a young single guy, and, uh, and which I understand there's young single pastors out there. I was once a young pastor. Uh, I've practically never been single, though, because I got married at 19. But, uh, I mean, I, I was 26 when I started pastoring. But, I mean, this dude looked like he was in middle school pretty much. I mean, you, you, you remember the old TV show Doogie Howser, M.D.? Uh, yeah, this was like Doogie Howser, MDiv, pretty much. I mean, he, he was young looking. So I, uh, but, I mean, that's okay. Well, the second thing, though, when we really started talking about it is like, there's no way that this guy has ever spoken in public in his life before. I mean, there's no way this guy is, is a pastor because it, it was just, uh, I mean, in like when you do a wedding ceremony, you're just kind of reading it. That ought to work relatively well. I mean, there, there are uh, exceptions. When I was marrying Aaron and Hannah Lee, I got their names messed up when I was pronouncing the uh, benediction, or the, you know, pronouncing them husband and wife at the end. I called them Heron Lee. Uh, <laughs> so I, it can happen, but I mean, this wasn't one mistake. And in my defense, it was an outdoor wedding in December. Uh, everything was frozen, I think, at that point, including my brain and my tongue. But... Um, <laughs> But it can't. But I mean, this guy. I mean, it's, it's just like he'd never spoken in public before. But here, here's the clincher. I mean, this was at one of these wedding venues where everything is in uh, the, the same room, and uh, so you know, after the, the ceremony, there's like some hors d'oeuvres. So they're doing pictures before dinner, and, and and I see this guy who's just done the wedding ceremony. This young single guy standing in line, grabbing a young lady's rear end. And so, like, you know, this is probably not normal pastoral behavior, in public at least, uh, 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 hopefully. Uh, it's like, you know, this, this just normally probably does not happen. I mean, and like, you know, I guess it'd be okay if it was his wife, as long as she didn't smack him uh, for doing it in public. But uh, he's not married, so he's kind of put all this together, and it's like, I don't, you know, this guy couldn't be a pastor. Well, we find out after uh, the, the wedding from, our bride, from the bride, who's our friend, that uh, it was just a friend of the bride and groom that had gone online and gotten an ordination certificate. He's not a pastor. I don't know what he was, but uh, just a friend of theirs, young guy. He, quote, got ordained online. But then 
they found out they weren't sure if it would actually legally satisfy the requirements in that state. So they told us they had actually gone to the courthouse or the mayor's office and gotten married earlier that week. And then they were just, you know, doing the ceremony that was already planned because the whole thing was so iffy. Here's my point. There is a point to this. (laughs) Apparently you were wondering, I guess, based on the laughter. There is a point to this, though. Um, his, here's what I'm saying. His actions revealed his identity. And the point is this. Our actions at some point reveal our identity. You know, if, if, if someone's not really a Christian, at some point their actions are going to betray them. I mean, you can maybe fake it for a little while. I mean, maybe this guy did, or maybe he fooled some people, but, you know, I've done dozens of weddings. I can probably, you know, we can't fake God out. Our actions reveal our identity. Or if, if we don't know what our identity is, and if we're not living out of this new identity, if we're stuck in the were instead of believing the are of who we are now in Christ, that's going to keep our actions from being what they really should be. So if we're going to live this out, we have to understand and live out of this new identity of who we are in Christ. Second, we can live as children of the light by repenting of our old and sinful ways. He says in verse 7, which is kind of the summation, the conclusion of verses 3 through 7, therefore do not be partakers with them. In verse 11, he says, have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. Now, I'm not going to spend much time on this because this is really more what we're going to focus on next week, but this is the point that I want to make. If we're going to walk as children of the light, we have to understand and live and, and, and practice the reality that the Christian life is a life of ongoing repentance. The Christian life is a life of ongoing repentance. Listen, daily within us, there's a battle going on between darkness and light, between the spirit and the flesh, between the old nature and the new nature. And part of the way that we win that is by daily repentance. Confessing our sins, being honest with God, being honest with other people, confessing our sins, asking forgiveness, asking to be filled with the Spirit, uh, you know, repenting, laying down our sin. You know, have, repentance is a change of mind that leads to a change of heart, that leads to a change of action. Listen, we can't change anything until we change our mind. Did you hear that? We can't change anything until we change our mind. The beginning of change is changing our mind about our sin. Uh, Realizing that our sin, he calls it here the unfruitful works of darkness. Listen, we sin because we love sin. I mean, Steve was right when he said that last week. We sin because we love sin. But if if we're in Christ, we have a new nature. And uh, we now have the love of God in us. And we may still be drawn to sin, but we don't love sin anymore. We now uh, have a hatred for sin at our deepest root uh, level. Listen, it's still fighting against us, that old sin nature. But uh, deep down, if we're saved, we want to please God, but we don't always do that. And so we have to change our mind and realize that our sin is killing us. It's destroying us. It destroys our relationships. It's unfruitful. It means we're wasting our our life and we change our mind and we seek by the grace of God to turn away from that sin, to lay that sin down. That's how we walk in the light. 
So what is it that's keeping us in the darkness in our lives? What is it that we need to be honest about? What, what, what is it that we need to lay down? Where do we need to change? Where, where do we need to grow? I mean, where does Satan still have a, a hold on us? Question. What, what was this past Thursday? <laughs> Just because you were in two services today, Preston. Um, yeah, he's trying to mess up my illustration for me. I remember that the next time you're preaching. Um, <laughs> well, yeah, for most of you, it was Halloween. For theological nerds like me, it was Reformation Day. I mean, that, that's a whole lot more exciting to me than it being Halloween. Because uh, on, on Thursday, October 31st, was the 502nd anniversary of Martin Luther uh, posting the 95 Theses uh, on the door of the church there in Wittenberg, uh, Germany. And um, so, like I say, I'm a theological nerd, so that, you know, excites me, you know, more than Halloween. But anyway, that's one of the most important moments in the history of the world, honestly. Spiritually. But not just, I mean, spiritually, you know, the Protestant Reformation came out of that. But, I mean, I think you can argue, even apart from the spiritual stuff, when you look at things like Protestant work ethic and a whole idea of vocation, really, the Protestant Reformation gave us the foundation for Western civilization for several hundred years. I mean, this was just a, a key moment in human history. But anyway, it's interesting that the first thesis of these 95 theses was this. Luther wrote, when our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said, repent, he willed the entire life of believers to be one of repentance. And a man named Eric Geiger commented on it and said this. He says, we don't only repent when we come to faith in Christ, but our entire lives should be marked by repentance. This truth has impacted my personal life and my pastoral ministry significantly. I need to constantly turn to Jesus for grace. And I need to help the people I serve know that repentance and grace is still for them. For those who have been Christians for many years, there's a temptation to start thinking that repentance is something we already did and something for others to do now. Uh, but we must constantly turn from trusting ourselves and turn to trusting him. In fact, the more we understand God's holiness, the greater we see our own insufficiency, and thus the more uh, we grasp our need to repent. Luther also profoundly wrote, to progress is always to begin again. Meaning that the way we make progress in the Christian life is by continually going back to the cross. We grow, this is the end of his quote, by constantly beginning again, by turning to him, and again, him again and again for his grace, mercy, and power. So where do we need to repent? There may be some of you that need to repent and, and, and trust Christ, receive him as your Lord and Savior for the first time. But once again, repentance is not something we do the day we get saved. It's something we do every day if we are saved. It's essential to walking in the light. That's the idea here. And we'll flesh out some more of the specifics of that next week. Number three, we can live as children of the light by seeking to determine and do the will of the Lord in any particular situation. Notice again what he said in verse 10. He said, finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. And uh, that little English phrase, finding out, is one word, a verb in Greek. 
that literally means uh, to test and approve uh, something. It, it was used uh, in, in you know, those days about examining metals to determine their genuineness. Like uh, if someone put gold or silver in a crucible to determine how pure it was, that's the meaning of the word. It basically refers to discerning, to knowing, to determining, and then doing the will of God. And so what he's saying, and this is real practical, if we're going to walk in the light, we got to know what that looks like. Right? we got to know what God expects of us. we got to know what the Lord uh, expects us to do. And that's a lot of what this second part of the book of Ephesians is about. But, but what that means is, is, how does God want me to speak? How does God want me to think? How does God uh, want me to be a husband or a, a wife for some of you? How does he want me to parent? Uh, how does he want me to treat uh, other, other people? How does he want me to function in my job when I have to make it a, a decision? I need to discern, test, and approve, see what uh, the, the will of God is. If I don't do this, if you don't do this, we're going to end up walking in darkness instead of light, even if we have the best intentions to live as children of light. If we don't know what that looks like, then Satan's going to deceive us and lead us astray. Well, how, how do we know that? Well, uh, you know, he gets into this more later on in chapter 5, but just a, a basic statement would simply be this. You can never know the will of God apart from the word of God. You can never know the will of God apart from the word of God. If we want to know God's will, if we want to know what's good and right and true and pure and holy, if we want to know how he wants us to live, it comes primarily from the study of God's word and never goes against the teaching of God's word. And so... How are you going to walk in the light if you're not walking in the Word? I mean, some of you are like, and I, I mean, I want to do this. I want to please the Lord. I think I'm saved. But this just seems like a struggle. It's like this Christian life thing is just so hard. You know, I don't know how to, to live this. Well, how are you going to live it if you're not in God's Word on a daily, on a regular basis? Because how are you going to know what the truth is? How do you know what God expects of you? How are you going to have the power to do what you know uh, you ought uh, to do? How, how do you know what's right and wrong? How do you know what's true and false? How do you know who you are in Christ and how he's blessed you and how to, to live out of it? There's no way. Listen, if, if we're, he says, you know, we're not darkness anymore, we're light. But if we would agree that we still have a sin nature, if we agree we're battling the world, the flesh, and the devil, think about it. The flesh is my old nature. It's fighting against me. The world's full of darkness, and it's fighting against me. Uh, the devil, he is darkness, and he's fighting against me. Well, how does he fight against us? He fights against us with lies. How do we overcome that? And sometimes people think spiritual warfare is a power uh, struggle. It's not really ultimately a power struggle. It's a truth struggle. We replace the lies with truth. Satan's a deceiver. We uh, avoid uh, deception. That's how uh, we grow. But listen, if we're inundating ourselves with the world's music and the world's media and the world's movies, the world's entertainment, with social media, with what people around us say, if we have hours and hours a day of that kind of content coming into our minds and we maybe get one sermon a week, how are you going to walk in the light instead of walking in the darkness? Amen. I mean, there's just no way around it. So if you really want to live this out and live like you're a child of the light, 
You've got to be able to discern God's will. But to be able to discern God's will, you have to be able, you have to know the word of God. No shortcuts. That's just how it works. Then number four, we can live as children of the light by, by exposing sin instead of participating in sin. By exposing sin instead of participating in sin. He says in verse 11, have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. And, and notice what he says here. You know, fellowship means basically an intimate association with. I mean, we can't avoid this stuff entirely, at least being exposed to it, but have no fellowship with it, he says. And notice what he says here. He says the unfruitful works. He doesn't say the people. Sometimes teach, people teach this wrong biblically. Biblical separation is, is not from people generally. There, there could be some cases of that, not the people of the world anyway. Uh, you know, in church discipline, sometimes we separate ourselves from fellow Christians. Sometimes if someone is a bad influence on you, you may need to separate yourself from, from that uh, person because he who walks with the wise will become wise and the companion of fools will be destroyed. But as a general rule, we're not to separate ourselves from the people of this world. We are to separate ourselves from the, the, the works of this world. But listen, we're not, the reason we're not to separate ourselves from the people of this world is think about it. If we're making the claim that we have the light, how are they ever going to see the light if we avoid them? Is that biblical? I mean, Jesus said, you know, we're to be like a shining city on a hill. Let our light shine before men that they may see our good works and glorify our Father who is in heaven. That's part of the Christian life. So he says, have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. It, it, the word expose here, it, it means to pointing out, it refers to pointing out sin in our brothers and sisters in Christ with the goal of repentance and restoration. It literally means to rebuke and convict. And of course, based on other scripture, it would imply taking the splinter out of our own eyes before we try to take the log out of somebody else's eye. But I think, you know, Bible commentators debate, is this talking about dealing with other Christians? Is it talking about dealing with the world? I think in the context, the interpretation, uh, the right interpretation, is, is certainly to, uh, you know, dealing with our fellow Christians. I mean, you know, in Galatians 6.1, Paul told us if we see someone, uh, brother, sister in Christ, overtaking a trespass, we're to restore that person. It's talking about the same thing. Sometimes we need to go to each other. And just say, hey, I love you. I'm concerned about you. I'm concerned with where you are with the Lord. I'm concerned about something you're doing. You know, this could destroy your life. Jesus loves you. He died for you. He'll forgive you. He'll help you. We're here for you. You know, would you consider this? Is there something we could do? Is there some way uh, we could help you uh, with this? Or sometimes if something's obvious, sometimes we just need to call it out in each other. That's what he's talking about. But you understand, for us to be able to do that with any integrity, it starts with us not being hypocrites. And that's why he starts the verse by saying, have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. Because if we're not doing that, then we can make a positive difference by actually exposing them. But here's our problem. We get sucked into it. Let's read you a little quote from... Uh, oh, he's deceased now, a preacher by the name of Vance Havner. 
he's very funny, and he puts it this way. He says, some time ago, a friend of mine took me to a restaurant where they must have loved darkness rather than light. I stumbled into the dimly lit cavern, fumbled for a chair, mumbled that I needed a flashlight in order to read the menu. When the food came, I ate by faith and not by sight. (laughs) Gradually, however, I began to make out objects a little more clearly. My host said, funny, isn't it, how we get used to the dark? And that's where a lot of Christians are. We have no power with God. We have no witness before men because we've gotten used to the dark. And instead of exposing them, we're fellowshipping with the unfruitful works of darkness. Where do we need to repent? God wants to use us to make a difference in the world. Little points of light wherever we are. As a church, a a shining city on a hill making a difference. But it starts with us helping each other walking in the light. But like I say, I think that's the interpretation of this. But I think by application, we're certainly called to be a light to the world. Other scriptures tell us that. Now, the way we do it is different. Because, uh, you know, in, in the body of Christ, we're commanded to call out specific sin sometime. That's not our role with non-Christians. Remember, one of our core values is that it's a place where it's okay to not be okay, but it's not okay to stay that way. We're not talking about moralism, trying to help uh, non-believers correct their lifestyle. We don't expect non-Christians to think, act, believe uh, like Christians when they don't profess Christ. But non-Christians do need to hear the truth of the Word of God because you can't get saved until you're convicted by the law of God, which is the only way you can respond to the grace of God. And and that's part of our job. That's why Jesus said not only we're light, we're salt as well. But but I want you to to think about something, okay, In, in light of this. Our world is so broken. Our communities... Whether you live in Hamlin County, Jefferson County, one of the surrounding counties, there's so much brokenness, so much darkness. And what used to be called the Bible Belt. And, um, you know, we, we can talk about reasons, and there's lots of them. We can try to place blame. But I think if, if um, we take the Bible seriously and we look at the number of churches there are in this area, we got to look in the mirror and lay a lot of the blame at the doorstep of the churches. I'm saying all of us. And um, there's something I want you to think about. Uh, and I, I'm going to preface this by, by saying that I understand Christians have different convictions about R-rated movies. Uh, Robin and I very rarely watch them. I think that's a matter of conscience. That's between you and the Lord, a matter of conviction. Really, the reason we very rarely watch them is because of what I was talking about earlier, that, uh, you know, I, I just think, I just don't think it's wise because I don't think that's the kind of content that we need to be putting in our minds on, on, on any kind of regular basis. But Friday night, Robin and I went to see the movie Joker. And it really, we went because of an article uh, that, that I had read about it. And um, 
you know, I, I try to avoid too many spoilers. I, I'm not even the right person to give you a whole lot of spoilers. I've not really seen the Batman movies. I'm just not much of a movie person. That's not just my thing. I mean, my experience with Batman and Jokers, being a kid and the old campy, corny TV show, watching that with uh, the, the guys in the neighborhood and us acting out the fights together. I mean, that's my experience with it, which I'm dating myself. Uh, but uh, anyway, so we went to see this movie. It's incredibly well done. Uh, I wouldn't describe it as entertaining because I would say it, 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 it in, in the sense that I think if you're entertained by that, I, I don't know, you might not, see, not, might not need to see Lori. It's disturbing. Uh, it, it's painful to watch because, I mean, you're watching very graphically someone's descent from mental illness to being a sociopath. I mean, it's incredibly well acted. It's incredibly well done. And, and the, I think the reason that it hit me so much is just because, I mean, not obviously on that level, but, I mean, this is kind of life for me as a pastor. This is where people are. I mean, a, a man who is abused a, as a child, rejected by society, keeps getting kicked while he's down, finally just snaps. One of the most profound scenes in the movie to me, I don't know who's seen it, I don't think this is giving away too much, but you know, there's a TV host that uh, he kind of idolized when he was a kid, and a lot of this is happening in his mind, and you kind of have, as you go through that, to kind of figure out what's real and what's not real. This was happening in his mind, but at one point, uh, in his mind, this TV host hugged him and said, I wish I had a kid like you. And you know what the reality is? There are multitudes of children in our society today that wish they had someone, wish they had a dad in particular, a man, who would hug them and say, I wish I had a kid like you. Listen, we're all warped by sin. And, I mean, it's just we're born with a sin nature. But, I mean, when, when kids are abused, when they don't grow up in anything resembling like a, a, a normal family, that just adds so many layers to that. And that's where we are. And listen, it's not getting better. And, it, we, you know, hope's not a strategy. We can't hope it's going to get better. It's going to keep getting worse unless somebody steps up and does something and makes a difference. And listen to me. If we say that we believe that Jesus Christ is the light of the world, and we say that we believe his light is in us, and we say that we're walking in the light, I say if we're not trying to bring that light into the darkness, and we're not trying to make a difference, instead of kicking those that are down and hurting and rejected and abused by society, if we're not trying to bring the light and love of Jesus Christ to them, I say we're hypocrites. It's who the church is called to be. And he says then in verse 14 to conclude this, he just basically says, wake up. When it gets dark, we get sleepy. So what's happened to some of you? You've been in the dark too much and you've gotten spiritually sleepy. And he says, wake up. 
He says to some of you, rise up from the dead. And, and of course, you can't make yourself rise from the dead. Only God can do that. Some of you need a supernatural miracle of God bringing you from death to life by his grace. And like I, say, if you, like I said earlier, if he's opening your eyes so you can see who Jesus is. It now is the time for you to repent, place your faith in Christ, ask him to forgive you of your sins, confess Jesus as Lord, let him transform you. If you're a Christian, though, you've been asleep spiritually. Are you walking in the darkness? Are there things you need to repent of? Do you need to come to the light? He says, wake up. I want to close with, with, with this, at least the message part. We're going to have a time of invitation. I want you to watch this video clip. And, uh, you know, the, 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 this movie, The Joker, is a big part of our cultural conversation right now. I mean, it's getting close to $900 million box office gross worldwide. Here's another thing that's a big part of our cultural conversation right now. Um, Kanye West. Familiar with this? You know, saying become a Christian. He, he, he's, he's put out a, you know, lyrically, distinctively Christian record called Jesus is King. I mean, it's a cultural moment when uh, Jimmy Inman listens to a Kanye West record. I mean... <laughs> This is a first, honestly. Uh, you know, this may surprise you, but I'm just not a big hip-hop guy. I mean, you know, <laughs> that may be a little shocking to you. We've got John Harrell for that. So he, he can, that's, true, that's a true statement. He can fill you in on everything you need to know about this. But uh, anyway, so, you know, and, and, and Christians get on social media and kind of debate whether or not this is real. It's actually kind of interesting where the lyric of one of the songs says that Christians are going to judge him first which is kind of a sad commentary. People debate whether or not he's really saved. It's a dumb debate. Why is it a dumb debate? You don't know him. Number one, you don't know. Number two, time will tell. And, and I'm not saying that about Kanye West. I'm saying that about everybody. I mean, when somebody gets saved at True Life, usually the way we word it is they made a profession of faith. Because time will tell. We try to talk to them, share with them biblically, try to you know, do everything we can to make sure it's genuine. But time will tell. Jesus said you're known by your fruits. And so you know, people, though, I mean, they're like, oh, you can't really be saved. And other people, on the other hand, uh, you know, Christians are like, uh, like, oh, there's a celebrity that's saved now. Okay, we got some credibility. I can believe this is true. That's dumb, too. Listen to me. It's not any harder. Is it bad I said dumb? I'm sorry if it, if it was. Um, Listen, it's not any harder for God to save Kanye West than it is for him to save a six-year-old kid. See, this is something, this is a different subject. Maybe I'm just ranting now instead of preaching. But uh, this is something I don't get. You know, you hear all these statistics. People are like, uh, well, you know, if, if we need to get people saved when they're kids or they're teenagers or, you know, the chances go down statistically, all these kind of things. How is that biblical? I mean, anybody gets saved, it's a supernatural work of regeneration by the Holy Spirit. That's not any harder for God to pull that off with a 90-year-old than it is a 9-year-old. It's his power. The, power of the, the gospel is the power of God into salvation for everyone who believes. I mean, anyway. Um, did you know that over 50% of our baptisms in the history of true life have been adults? So, you know, that whole kind of stuff. It's just God can do whatever God wants to do, Right? And if God saves Kanye West, praise the Lord. I tend to think it's real. I mean, I definitely at least think he's sincere for two primary reasons. One, 
what's he going to gain by being this bold about it? He stands to lose a whole lot. And, and, and I think we ought to think about this. If it's not real, we, we ought to be convicted because how many of us have been as bold about their faith as he's been in the last few weeks? He's trying to be the light. Second reason I believe it's real is because, you know, a guy, he's not officially his pastor, but a guy who's kind of pastored him, not some well-known, he's an unknown, really, not some well-known celebrity pastor of a megachurch. He's a graduate of Master Seminary, John MacArthur School, which is about as conservative as you can get. Um, I've listened to an interview with him. I listened to one of his sermons. It's straight as an arrow biblically. I mean, the sermon I listened to, same passage Steve preached last week, and he preached the holiness of God and uh, the repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. He preached the cross, and there's no fluff to it. And the thing I was most impressed with is he's not impressed by the fact that Kanye West is a celebrity who's come to their church a few times. But anyway, with, with, with that said, because uh, I'm going too long, but anyway... I want you to watch this video clip, but just kind of think about that. Uh, Regular night in for you and Kim now. Kanye and Kim, they got nothing to do Tuesday night. What are they doing? I don't like going out at nighttime. I like being at home with my family at night as much as possible. So I what don't is like that night? What do you do? We go, we'll eat dinner, and we'll play with the kids, and then we'll put the kids to bed, and then we go to bed. And then... My wife watches Dateline. So she watches Dateline, yeah. and you're not really watching anything. You're just straight straight to sleep. I read the Bible. For real? Yes. Seriously? You sit and read the Bible? Yes. What is telling this? I've got three kids. You've got four kids. Would you recommend my wife and I going for a fourth? Oh, absolutely. Really? The oh, richest thing that you can have is as many children as possible. So are you saying you would roll for a fifth? For seven. For seven Shut children. up, you want seven kids. Yes. And have you and Kim talked about this? This is something that you'd like to do? Yes. Seven children? Yes. So beautiful. I need to talk to my wife. That's for sure. His love will never say, and there will be people that will say, 
I don't believe it. I don't believe the reawakening of that Kanye is saying he's having. I don't believe if I look at the last two, three, four, five years of his life, I don't believe that this can be as uh, night and day as it is. Do you know what I mean? Well, that's that, you, what... that you would be one day living your life in one way and now saying everything is for this. I'm not sure I believe it. What would you say to those people? Well, I'd say when you go to sleep, would you agree that you are asleep when you are asleep? And when you wake up, would you agree that you are awake when you are awake? Yeah. Would you agree that, that those are two different states? People who don't believe are walking dead. They are asleep. And this is the awakening. And that's really what Ephesians 5.14 is saying to us. Wake up. Let Jesus make you alive. And if you are, live like you're alive. Live like you're awake. Get out of the darkness. Walk in the light. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes if we could. And we're going to pray. And Shane's going to come and do a song. I was going to invite you. I mean, we didn't do a come forward kind of invitation in the first service, but for some reason I feel like we're supposed to in this service. If you need to receive Christ, if you know God is speaking with you and dealing with you, I just encourage you to do what the Bible says and call on his name. Ask him to forgive you. Ask him to change you. Ask him to come and take control of your life. Come talk to me. During the invitation, talk to somebody you feel comfortable with before you leave. For those of us who are Christians, do you see who you are in Christ? We live out of that identity. Maybe you're struggling with that. Maybe you need to talk to somebody. Let somebody pray with you. I invite you to come for that. It's not a question of if there's something we need to repent of for any of us. It's just What? What do we need to lay down? What do we need to change our mind about? Where do we need to trust the Lord instead of ourselves? Maybe some of you need to make a commitment. This is going to be part of your lifestyle, your daily life, to spend time in the Word of God. Maybe you go on version and just find a Bible reading plan this week and start that. Maybe there's somebody you need to be the light to. You need to ask God for the grace to do that. Lord, in Jesus' name, help us to repent, help us to live out of our new identity, help us to walk in the light, and I pray, God, that your spirit would just overcome the lies that we believe, and Lord, reveal to us who we are in you, reveal to us what we need to do, and help us to act on that. In Jesus' name we pray.